Well, I love Dr. George Weeks, amen. What a <laughs> time to time in meetings like this, I have the opportunity to be in. Brother George will be there and sing, and it's always a pleasure. And I don't know in some of my mind, I didn't know he was going to be here tonight, but when I walked in the door and saw him here, I said, we're going to have a good time tonight, I guarantee you. This, this man's got a voice, but he's got a heart. I, I, everywhere I've ever been, uh, he'll serve. That's, uh, we've been in meetings, I look up and see George, he'll lead one night and he'll be singing in the choir the next night. Uh, he's got a great heart for Jesus. Thank you, George. I love you. Thank God for you. You've ministered life to my soul this night. Amen. Well, Pastor, thank you for the invitation uh, to come and uh, be here and let me invite you to take your Bible and uh, it'll take you maybe a minute to find this, but we're going to be in the book of Zechariah tonight. That's book 38, so you'll need to find that. See if you can uh, find it over in the Old Testament. We're in Zechariah, and we'll be in the fourth chapter in just a moment. Uh, the pastor is just so transparent and honest that we don't do meetings much like this anymore. And as he said, uh, probably 90% of our churches don't have extended uh, meetings, and uh, we're, we're in trouble. America's in trouble because the church is in trouble. And I've been praying that, that God had let me be in a part of, of a stirring in America. When I was a, a kid up on Sand Mountain in northeast Alabama, I saw for the one and only time in my life, I saw revival. Uh, it came. It started on the west coast and then up in Kentucky and the Jesus movement swept across 68, 69, 70, 71 and uh, I was right in that and all those hippies with long hair and blue jeans and uh, you know, no shoes really, half of them, and uh, they'd come in churches and sit in the front, and, and I'm telling you, the, the power of God came, and I mean thousands of people got swept into the kingdom, and now all of the folk that got saved there, now we're in charge. We're the baby boomers, and if you don't think we're in charge, just look, because there's more of us than anybody. And we're fixing to suck Social Security dry, just, uh, you know, because we're coming, amen. And we're coming after our slice of the pie. We're, we're on the way. And that's part of our issue. And I'm going to prove it to you out of this text tonight. But I, I long, Pastor, to see that spark come. And as it did then and normally does, it'll start with some teenagers somewhere. Because they hadn't got any more sense than to believe God. And they just began to hunger after God. And I'm telling you, this generation of which my children, I have two, and 30 and 26, and they're of that coming generation, and there's almost more of them than they are baby boomers now, this, this next generation coming through. And, and they think different. Oh, they are different. Uh, but they were different just like my generation was. And they need to, they've never seen true Holy Ghost, heaven-sent revival in the church. And I pray, oh God, let that, and I don't know, Pelham may be the place where that starts. I, I don't know, God, well, he, he take less than us sometimes in doing, amen. It just takes a, a little arc where, where God begins to work. And so I'm praying this week we'll see that happen and we can't make national revival come. You, you can't even make church revival come, but you can see to personal revival. You can see to that in your life as I can see to it in mine. Now, 
tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll begin, and the pastor's told us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday what we're going to do. And, and I'm, I'm just an old country preacher from North Alabama, and I'm not going to hurt you. And so just come, bring your friends. I'm not going to embarrass your friends. I'm just going to open the Word of God, preach for a little while, give an invitation, ask you to get up out of your seat and come get right with God. That's what we're going to do. Pray the lost will get saved and that the church will get right. And, and so that, that's all I know to do, and uh, that's what God called me to do when I was 17 years old. And I don't know a whole lot more now than I did then, but uh, I know a little, and I'm just asking God this week that he'd do it. I've got 156 men that are praying for us tonight, and uh, add to that uh, some of their wives and my wife and many of you, and, and i am just, just been asking them to pray that God do a great work uh, among us. So we're in the book of Zechariah tonight, and, and I want to share a message uh, about the Holy Spirit and, and the Spirit's personal work within us. There is the personal action of the Holy Spirit. Now there are eight visions, eight visions in Zechariah. And I want us to look at the fifth vision tonight. It's in the fourth chapter. So we're in Zechariah 4 and I'll begin reading in verse number 1. And by the way, Pastor, I love this building. It, it scared me when I got here uh, because I pulled up and I parked in the front and there were eight cars. And I thought, oh Lord, there ain't nobody coming tonight. <laughs> And I walked around the building and I found the church in the back, amen. And so, uh, but I love this, this building. This is absolutely gorgeous and it's even better when the sun goes down, isn't it? And it doesn't hit you right in the face, amen. I, so I'm glad we got that shade pulled up here for you tonight and that screen, that, that helped me sitting down here. But, but this is a lovely plant and I didn't know the history of it. I drive by here frequently and, and have seen your church but never stopped. But I'm honored to come and be here this Zechariah chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. I'm from the New American Standard tonight. The Bible says, Then the angel who was speaking with me, Zechariah, said, Turn and rouse me. Dear God, I wish that angel would show up tonight, don't you? As a man who is awakened from his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it. And its seven lamps are on it with seven spouts belonging to each one of the lamps which are on top of it. Also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. Then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these things, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace? Grace to it. That top stone there, they're, they're building the temple. They've got the foundation down, but the temple's not been built. And now these visions are, are coming and, and Zechariah is hearing them. Zerubbabel is the political leader. He's the governor, if you will. And Joshua, we're going to find him in a moment. He's on the other side. There was no separation of church and state then. They brought together God's people and God's country and together they were one, but they were neither anything without the Spirit of God resting on on them. Now get the picture. Zachariah's having this vision and the, the angel comes to him and he sees a golden lampstand and there's a bowl on top of it. 
And then there's seven spouts. Some people see, say each one of those spouts had seven, making seven sevens to be 49, and you can argue that, whether that's in the text or not, but some people think so. And there's seven or 49 spouts as they go out, and there's olive trees, one on each side. And the picture, as you read down through verse 14, is this, that the oil of God comes out of those two olive trees, and through those spouts and those conduits, this oil will run, and it will come into that bowl for the lampstand to blaze. And without the oil of God, there is no light, there is no fire, there is no salvation, there is no work within the church. And he says, don't you see that? And Zechariah says, well, I'm not sure. What does it mean? And then we hear in verse 6 our text tonight, when the angel said, not by might, and not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. These are interesting phrases in the Hebrew Bible. Not by might, not by power. Not by might. Love shavil. Love shavil is, is the phrase. They're not by might. It means an accumulation of power, of wealth, of armament. It speaks of a human strength that an individual would have, that a nation would have. It would speak to David and Goliath in, in Israel, be a great illustration of it. When Goliath came out and Israel was armed to the teeth, they couldn't bring down that nine foot six guy. They didn't know what to do with that giant. You talk about a tight end. Holy smokes. <laughs> Here came Goliath out cursing the God of Israel. They were armed. They had all their gold and their silver and their art, but they couldn't take him down. To us, this would speak today of all the armament we have. Be buildings like this, gorgeous, absolutely phenomenal. It'd be offerings that you'd bring. Be your gold and your silver. Be your sound systems and grand pianos and all the things that, that we have. Let me tell you, friend, those things are dead without the Spirit of God. Not by might, nor by power. This is a different Hebrew phrase. Love sharosh. You, you almost have to be a a rabbi to say this word, and I don't have the guttural capability of making it happen. But it is the power which the, the root word here is to pant like a dog. <laughs> like a dog that's been running and his tongue's hanging out this long and he's lapping for water and he's working and he's energized. This speaks of the energy of God's people. He says, first of all, it's not by all of our might, our armament, our gold, our silver. Secondly, it's not by our energy. It's not by what we can do. I'm telling you, if revival could come by Baptist working, it'd already be here. Lord Jesus, we're the busiest people in the world. We meet eight nights a week at Olive down in Pensacola. I'm telling you, we're there all the time. Something going on around the clock. And I'm telling you, if busyness would do it, it'd already be done. But this doesn't come by power. It doesn't come by the working and the panting and the hard breath. But by my spirit, rock, breath. It's by the fresh 
wind of God that comes across his people. I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting where the wind of God blew. Oh, it's, you want to be there. It's, it, it's like Acts 2. It says that there was a mighty rushing wind and the breath of God blew on the people of God. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, some people say, well, we just do away with buildings, and we don't need buildings, and we just do away with all of... No, 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 a thousand times no. He's not saying that those things go away. He's saying if you do not bring all of those things and lay them at the feet of Jesus, they are dead. But God can breathe life into all we have. Others say, well, you know, he talks about energy and work, so, so we just don't work. We don't do anything. We don't invite people on Monday night. We don't ask people to come. We just pray and wait on God. You be waiting by yourself. Now, there's a time to wait, I understand, but there's a time to work. He's not saying don't work. He's saying bring your energy and lay it at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, here are all of our things and here's all of our energy. Now we lay them at your feet. We surrender them to you. And by your spirit, oh God, do a work. Now tonight, if I was going to tell you what the spirit was, needs to do, there are seven things. But I don't have time. Well, I have time. You just don't have patience, all right? Uh, but there would be seven things I, I would share with you. Let me just enumerate the first five. I'll just name them, but I want to I preach to you on the last two. Number one, I, I would share with you when the Spirit comes, He always speaks. Revelation 2, 7 says that he that has ears, let him hear. Let the church hear. He speaks. Secondly, He teaches. Luke 12 and verse number 12. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Did you see little, little Gabby Douglas on, on the uh, Olympics? Oh, man, I like that. I'd, I'd never seen a third grader win a gold medal before. That <laughs> it was unbelievable. She's not big as a bar of soap. I, I mean, it's just a little bitty gal. But did you hear her? Did you hear her? Oh, when the glory goes up, the blessings come down. Where'd that come from? I believe it came out of Luke 12. 12. I, I believe when they stuck that microphone in her face, she just said what she needed to say. You get home tonight, you're going to watch 100 meters Justin Gatlin, my friend Pensacola, is going to finish third. That's just not a word of prophecy I've already looked, so I, I, I know. I won't tell you who's going to win if you want to know, but, but my buddy Justin's going to get the bronze tonight, all right? I baptized him about 10 years ago. Hadn't seen him in a long time. He was the world's fastest man at that time. He came down the aisle, and I baptized him. I told the people that night, I said, if I can catch him, I'm going to baptize him. And, and, and I got him under, amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But boy, she, she gave a good word, little Gabby did, and, and spoke right up. He'll be your teacher. He'll exercise authority, thirdly. In Acts 13, and verse number two, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. He, he speaks, he teaches, he exercises authority. He intercedes. You know the Spirit of God's praying for you right now. Romans 8 and verse 26 tells us the Spirit of God intercedes for us. And then he comforts in John 14, 6. You, you find that Jesus said, I'm going to send another comforter, the paracletos, it'll be with you. But then there's two last things. I want you to find both of these with me. Take your Bible and go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Please go right there to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Brother Mike, you've got a Bible church. I can tell they bring their book, don't they? That's good. Amen. I love to hear that. Hear that? 
I had a little girl say to me one time, she came up to me, she said, shh, it's raining in church. <laughs> amen. You don't get that with an iPad. <laughs> yeah, amen. In, in 1 Corinthians 6, now if you've got an iPad, turn to 1 Corinthians 6, but, uh, <laughs> but it won't make any noise. If it does, we're going to ask you to shut it off, all right? So uh, get a lot of beeping going on. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 9. I want to show you tonight two things I'm praying that the Spirit of God will do in this room and that he would do this week among us. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. What is it the Spirit wants to do? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You do know tonight, First Baptist, that not everybody's going to heaven. Not everybody's going. Not even all the Baptists are going. Only the righteous, not the self-righteous, the Jesus-righteous. That's who's going, those that have been born again. Don't be deceived. And then he begins to name. Now, when, when I call your sin, just say amen. <clears throat> Neither fornicators. Or idolaters. Or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor drunkards. Amen. I thought I surely get a witness. Amen. Nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. <laughs> but, 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 my wife teaches in ladies' conferences and she has a talk that I can't give. It's entitled, Big Butts in the Bible. <clears throat> and this is one of them right here. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, here it is, and in the Spirit of our God. What is it the Spirit does? There's two things in this text. We find number one, He justifies. He, he justifies. That would be point number six in that seven litany that I was giving you that He intercedes and comforts. Now number six, He justifies. It's a legal term. This legal term means that he acquits, he vindicates, he declares you righteous. Probably everybody in here that's been to a soul winning clinic knows Romans 3.23, but you ought to learn Romans 3.24. That's where it really gets good. Romans 3.23, you know, we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God, but in 24, we get justified. We get forgiven. We're vindicated. We've been set free. This text says you've been washed. Where I'm from, there's an R in that word. 
Warst. That's, that's where I'm from, but I came to Samford and they taught me different, all right? But uh, I was at Southwestern Seminary and they had me stand up in preaching class and there was 12 of us in there and they said, we want you to talk for a minute. And I stood up and I was the first one and, and the professor, it's a true story, Brother Mike, he, he, he laid down on the front pew and laughed. And he looked at me and he said, where are you from in the South? I said, I'm from Pisgah, Alabama. He went to the board and he wrote three words. M-E-T, L-E-T. He said, say these words after me. I said, met, let. And then he wrote G-E-T and I said, get. <laughs> met, let, get. He said, it's get. I said, if you go to my town and you say get, you'll have to get. I'm here to tell you <laughs> Well, I've been trying to learn. Washed, washed. Dear Lord Jesus, we need to be washed. Do you understand, friend? All that list of sin, gone. Washed away. Forget. See, part of the problem in the church is if we've forgotten what Jesus did for us. I mean, we're sinners. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's nobody righteous in here. Your righteousness like filthy rags. That's a picture out of Isaiah where they would wrap those rags around a leper's pus-filled arms. And those sores would ooze. It's, it's like a nasty bandage. That's our righteousness. We're none righteous. No, not a one. But He's washed us. Some people do not believe that Jesus can forgive all sin. See, if he'd repent, Jerry Sandusky would be on this list. He's covered by the blood too if he comes by faith. Yes, sir. This, Brother Mike, is why I got into business I'm in. Justified. Lord, I love to see people saved. A few weeks ago, I gave the invitation on a Sunday morning in our early service and one of my members had sent me a text. He said, Pastor Joshua's coming this morning to make his profession of faith, and he'll be sitting with me on the second row. He said, I led him to faith in Christ this morning down in the trailer park where I work. Joshua came in, he's a big man, had on blue overalls, white shirt, hanging out on one side, you know how they are, hanging out of those overalls. Walking on a cane, he wasn't 30 years old, had a bad leg, long hair down on his collar. Poverty, poverty, poverty. I gave the invitation. Joshua came down, took me by the hand. I said, Joshua, why have you come? And he turned around and looked back over. And he said, well, that man there told me the next thing I was supposed to do is come tell you this. Fresh. I love fresh sinners getting saved. Amen. Oh, Joshua came. We baptized him that night. He hadn't missed. He was there this morning. I, I preached the gospel. He's right there. Still wearing those same overalls, same shirt, hanging out the same side. I said, Joshua, how you doing? About three weeks ago, and he looked at me and big tears came. His eyes, I thought I'd done something wrong. And I went to his friend and led him to Christ. He said, Pastor, just as somebody knows his name, thrills his heart. Now, I don't know everybody in my church, but I know Joshua. 
That was a 9.30 service. At 11 o'clock, I gave the invitation, and here came a gentleman that our pastoral Minister of pastoral interns had led to Christ, and here came Lance. Now, Lance, he, he didn't look like Joshua. He, he looked like us. He's a regular sinner. <laughs> and, and he came down and just had on a regular shirt and pants and came down. Lance, how are you, Lance? And I said, Lance, why have you come? And he said, well, Brother John's sitting over there, and he told me next thing I need to do is come tell you what I've done. <laughs> that night, we baptized Joshua. We baptized Lance. Joshua comes just out of, it, it's awful. I asked Lance, I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a neurologist. I said, what is that? He said, if you don't know, you'll probably need one. I said, well, all right. <laughs> I looked up a few weeks ago, he's working in Bible school. I said, Dr. King, what are you doing here? He said, oh, they can run that shop down there. He said, this is real stuff right here with these kids. That is why I got in this business. For Joshua and Lance. And friend, I'm here to, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're down and out or you're up and out and think you're somebody. You can come to the cross and God will save you. There's a banker sitting this morning right up here where these kids are in this balcony on the right-hand side. He comes, he's lost, he's lost, he's lost, he's lost. I've been in his office, shared the gospel with him. And I'm telling you, if he dies, he's going to go to hell. I, I asked him, about, I, I said, tell me what. He said, well, preacher, I just have never done that. I said, well, it's high time. He sat there this morning. He just looked, looked, but he walked out lost. How are you going to walk out of here tonight? Let me tell you, you can be justified. Bring your lost friends to this meeting. Talk to your lost friends. Bring them to this meeting and see them come to faith. And they can be washed. Well, I don't care what they've done. Bring them. Bring them. God can touch and save to the uttermost. But there's a seventh thing, and I want you to see it. Not only, but you are washed, and you are justified, but there's the S word, sanctified. Baptists hate this word. Baptists don't believe this word. Now, if I ask you tonight, if you're saved and justified, raise your hand and shout amen. Most everybody in this room do that. And then if I ask you if you were saved and sanctified, you'd... I'm not sure. Let me tell you, the same Jesus that justifies you, sanctifies you. I am sanctified. According to the Spirit of God, I am. I am sanctified. Let me tell you three things about sanctification. Number one, there's a positional sanctification. When I got saved, I was brought into the position of being right with holy God. Paul said in Acts 20 and 32, I have a perfect standing before God. I stand perfect before the Father tonight because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is my positional sanctification. I am positioned in Christ. But secondly, not only is there a positional sanctification, there is a progressive sanctification. This is the practical side of my position, and that is that I am daily growing in grace. In Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, you find that the husband is to love his wife and lay down his life for her just as Christ did for the church, and then to renew her by the washing of the water of the Word. That that transforms and cleanses is the message of this book. Jesus prayed for us in John 17, 17, when he, he prayed, Oh Lord, sanctify thy people. Your word is truth. Sanctify your people in truth. Your word is truth. 
different. If you, if you want to be sanctified, get in this book. This book will knock everything out of you that's not Jesus and begin to add everything in you that needs to be like Jesus. I, I don't just mean the Gospels. I mean all of it. Some of you are going to get to heaven and Zephaniah is going to walk up to you and say, how'd you like my book? And you're going to say, who, who are you? He said, I had a book in the book. So, preacher, I don't understand. I didn't ask you if you understood it all. I asked you, will you read it all? I'm telling you, God will take that book. This, this is not a magic book. No, no, no. This is a supernatural book. And, and it's full of healing and conviction, and it brings sanctification. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. Now watch what happens. We, we begin to get right with God. We're saved, but, but then we lapse back into the flesh, into the might and the power rather than the Spirit. This book keeps us where we need to be. There's positional. There's progressive. But then thirdly, there is ultimate, there is ultimate sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 you find it over there where, where Paul says that, that I pray now that you would be sanctified entirely in your body, soul, and spirit. I'm, there's coming a day when I'm going to be so right with God when I get to heaven that, that I stand before my Jesus. After judgments come in the second coming and all of those things that, that happen, I will stand ultimately perfect position right in my body I'll have a new one of those praise God I'm about to get tired of this one I'm small and I've played sports all my life I played two years junior college basketball before coming to Sanford I love sport I, I'm a big sport fan I paint my face and go every Saturday and I mean I, I like that I, I do I got season tickets I I go and it doesn't matter where I go I, I just all that do is make half of you mad so uh, <laughs> just just know I go now God's put the heart of a champion in the body of a wimp but but I'm here to tell you <laughs> there's a day coming when I get a new body Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'll be sanctified in my body. Then in my soul, my mind, my will, and emotion. I don't have the keenest mind in the world, but, but, but my mind, my will, my emotion, my emotion will be perfect. Mm. Well, I long for that day. My spirit. Church, hear me. And we're going to have the invitation. It's the spirit we've got to begin to deal with. Now, now watch this. Many of you, well, George shared, he saved at nine. I was saved at ten. Here, here's what happens to us. We get saved. Thank God for those boys and girls. We had kids saved this week at children's camp. I'm grateful to God for them. We baptized some of them this morning. I'm, I'm glad to see those. But now you watch. You get saved. You're seven, nine, ten, twelve. What happens is you grow up. And you get to thinking, I can do this. I, I can do this. I don't really have to pray as much. I, you know, I don't have to read as that. You know, and and I, I can just kind of fake it. And before you know it, you're 35 years old. And you're faking it. Just going through the motion. There's no stirring within your spirit. You go to a game on Saturday. 
I, I watch grown men, they scream like a Comanche. For a boy they've never met, playing for a school they've never attended. To make points that they've never played. That same guy screaming like a Comanche Indian will come sit on the fifth row back when I preach on Sunday morning. A little 12-year-old boy will come get saved and he'll sit there like a wooden Indian. Let me tell you, that is rank hypocrisy. It's the Spirit. It happens really with young people. It happened to me. Any 10th graders, rising 10th graders in here tonight? Any sophomores? Any, any rising sophomores going to be in the 10th grade? No sophomores, not a one? All right. That's my favorite word in the English language, sophomore. I love sophomores. They're my favorite people. Two words, Sophia is on the front end, Moros is on the back end. <laughs> Sophia is, is wisdom. Moros is moron. Idiot. Sophomore's a wise fool. <laughs> they think they know more than anybody. Now, now, now watch this. Here's what happens. A little 10-year-old ten ten boy gets saved, and, and then when he gets to the 10th grade, all of a sudden he, he thinks he knows enough to fake it, and, and he begins to think it's by might and it's by power. Why is that? Because his daddy never comes to the altar. His granddaddy never comes to the altar. They don't weep over souls, and, and he just thinks it's by might and it's by power because he doesn't see any spirit at home. He didn't see anybody crying out to God. He didn't see daddy crying, weeping over a neighbor. He said he's going to die lost. And so that little boy grows up, and before you know it, we ordain him as a deacon. And he's married, he's got kids, and they get saved at 10, and everybody gets goosebumps. Hallelujah, and they're, they're baptized when they're 10, 11, and then they go sit in the pew, and they watch their daddy, and they watch their granddaddy, and sometimes even their great-granddaddy, and they've gotten over. They think it's by might, by power. They, they think, well, I just write a check. Write the check, won't get it. Building a building, thank God for building. But, but, man, if cathedrals would bring revival, America would have it. Our energy does. It's when we get broken before holy God and say, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my life. Several years ago, a gentleman, one of our deacons, started on Sunday morning and said, I think you ought to pray over the pastor every morning so we do that and three deacons come down. This morning, Johnny Newton was one of my three deacons. I got on my knees in that chair in my office and Brother Johnny just laid himself over on me. and He started to cry for his preacher. I'd already, I was ready to go home. I'd had church. This was a retired man. Worked, made great money, gave to our church, got saved 30 years ago. Walked in our church building and God spoke to him, saved him. And Brother Mike, he cried this morning. He said, Lord, help, help religious people get their eyes open so they'll find the Jesus out there. And he just laid over and he just wept and cried. And I said, that's it. It's what we miss is the brokenness. It's how that 10th grader began pride, pride, 
I know. I got saved when I was 10. When I was 17, I was it. But we had to get broken before God. On this Sunday night, and I know Sammy well enough to know that he called you to get ready for this meeting. <laughs> I know him. But somebody's in this room tonight, and you've never been justified. You've never been saved. And I'm here to tell you what God did for Joshua and what Jesus did for Lance, he'll do for you. He'll save you. But if you walk out of here like that banker, you'll walk out of here lost. You need to see, you need to say yes unto him. And then there's somebody here tonight, especially men. I believe it's teenagers and men that we've got to get right with God. If, if we ever get Baptist after Jesus like they get after a Chick-fil-A sandwich, we're going to see revival. Amen. Amen. I think we ain't anybody standing in line for 45 minutes to pray. Ooh. There's some men who hadn't been to this altar in a long time. You ought to come tonight saying, Oh, God, break me. Brother Mike, I've been, I've been excited about coming, coming here and there's because this town is where God changed my life. Senior student at Samford University, I went over to Southeastern Bible College. I went over there. You weren't supposed to go, but I went. And there was a little preacher there by the name of Stephen Olford. He rolled his R's when he'd preach. He preached one night on bend me. Bend me. Bend me, Lord, until the eye of my life is bent into the sea of the Christ life. And I said, Lord, that's me. I'm, I'm so full of me. Oh, God, knock everything out of me that's not me. And bend me. Bend me. Bend me. Till it's not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. That night, I, I fell in the floor. I said, oh, God, I, with all I know, I give you my life. And, I, and I'm just telling you, my life is it, it's, it's far from perfect, but I've never been the same since that night of drawing a line and stepping across and saying, God, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, i give up anybody, give up anything in order to be in the center of your will. God, bend me, bend me. Some of you tonight, when George comes to sing, you need to step out and you need to come right here and take this pastor by the hand. Take one of these staffers that will be standing here by the hand. Or maybe you don't need them. Just pass and, and come to this altar and say, oh God, bend me. Bend me. If you're here tonight without Christ, don't you come kneel. You come tell one of these preachers, I, I want to know him. They'll help you. They'll get you to somebody that will encourage you. If you're here tonight and ought to join this church, come. It will be a great night to begin this revival as you move your membership and put it right here. Not by might, not by power, but coming because the Spirit of God says to you, I'm coming. The call of God is in this room and He beckons you to come. Pray with me. And after we pray, we sing. And when we sing, you step out and you come unto Christ. Father, I thank you tonight for your blessed word. I thank you, God, for the call of your spirit. And I ask you, God, to do a fresh work within this body tonight. Dear God, send revival and let it begin in me. Let it begin here. Let it begin in us. I pray, Father, you'll, you'll do a fresh work this very night. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and as the instrument begins to quietly play.
Say, preacher, it's mine. It's my night. I, I need to come. Then you step out. You'll be the first one out of that balcony.